please feel free to ask. We need another. Oh, gone. We need another. Oh, you've got it. Oh, great. That's brilliant. Hello. Um, I don't have the exact words you used. Hang on, I'm going to. <laughs> but, oh, can you hear? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, you said that our expect. You said something like our expectations of people can put them in a cage, and I was wondering about that in relation to having children, and um, teaching them how to be in the world. How do you? What's the balance between some expectation mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. this teaching? Well, I'm not the best, best person, really, to talk to you about children, bringing up children. Yeah, I brought, brought up what psychotherapists would call the little girl inside me. <laughs> My emotional world. Um, well, you know, if we the only... Experience I have with children, really close, closely, is the um, summer camp. We have a summer camp, uh, family camp, weekend, week, weekend, um, you know, for the family and children. And I can see how they love, um, you know, studying or, you know, the teaching of the, the kind of aspects of the teaching. So, for example, they had. A, I think this here is mindfulness. I don't know if anybody is here. Know the, the the topic for the year for all the weekend and the week long and the little retreat with the teenagers maybe uh, it's about uh, mindfulness. They had a four Brahma Viharas, you know. They had different uh, themes each year. And what the children are taught is really um, very kind of not I would say basic, fundamental more such as just learning how to respond kindly to themselves, towards themselves or towards others, to be generous, to learn how to respect maybe people around them. But you can't have, you know, ask a child to be an adult, you know, so it's, it's really different. That's, that's a work for the family, you know, for the parents to bear with the with the fact that a children is not a child is not an adult and will you know will be very different very different you know it's uh, the child doesn't know that she or he maybe is what people would call selfish or self-centered you know so i think for the children it's very important to me i have you know i haven't had any children myself but them which means to know what's what in how to get you know how to raise them but also to love them but not you know also train them you know it's like it's like human being needs training you know the mind is pretty crazy and as you are a child you know it's um, they have to endure this mind which maybe they don't particularly want you know so i think that the the loving aspect of parents you know the the fact that you can just accept them as they are but not let them do what they want because they, they, it's not good for the kids to, you know, I see parents, I couldn't believe sometimes, you know, maybe not so recently, but where they feel that kids can do what they want, you know, they feel bad if they don't do what they want. But it's just disciplining the children, I think, is very important. They love, it's like everyone, every one of us, we like the limitation, you know, and there's something in us that conscious limitation is something we appreciate, you know. 
And for the children, they may not have conscious limitation, but because their parents is loving, that replace the consciousness, you know, that they can accept it, maybe because they, are lo they love, they know they are loved by their parents, accepted, appreciated, and you have a constructive rapport with them, you know. You are interested, you are awake, you are, you know. They find you fun because you're with them, you know, truly. They're not a problem, not something, you know. It's a full-time job, isn't it? <laughs> it's funny how, you know, I know it's, it's a modern world, it's like that, but how many mothers love to do many things at the same time. I have children, I have a job, I have a, you know, a, a time to relax and do something else and, and work and a husband or partner and look after the children. But I think the kids, I think, is quite a full-time job. But if the mother is not happy, of course, it's better not to be with the mother. <laughs> so the mother has to find something to make them, to make sure that she brings happiness into the life of her children. Has to train her mind to bring, you know, to really lead that mind to be a, a happy, happy world. You know, and that is a creative aspect of life. Creative, you know, you have to work at it. It's like Ajahn Sumedho used to say, you. It's something you have to make it work for yourself again and again. You have to make it work. And for me, it spoke a lot. You know, basically, you have to ask yourself a question. What do I need to do to make it work for me now? So it's not too difficult for me because I really like meditation. <laughs> and I liked um, a simple life. So maybe I meditate or go for a walk or read something that was good, you know. So you have to find yourself what works. It's not under your feet necessarily. And it's not in front of your feet either. Do you understand? It's something you have to discover sometimes. Yeah? It's not in front of you now yet. It's quite exciting. You have to make it a bit exciting. You know, something fun to do. Discovering how to be a mom or how to be a... And there were lots of, you know, remember the, the, the motto of Ajahn Shah was like, 75% of the time we don't get it right in practice, and 25% we might get it right. And that's, you know, the, that's the words of an enlightened master, you know, liberated man. And uh, this is what you need to hear. The mind needs to hear that in a way. You say the truth, I'm sure, you know. But also to realize that most of our deception, most, most, of, most of our disappointment, most of our misery about our practice is about expectation of the mind being this way or that way. And then not seeing that all the, the things that do not work, not seeing it as part of your life and your learning. It's really hard for people to see it like that. It's a training. That's why we talk about training. Because you need to be reminded of that again and again. You remind, and then the, it's almost that like with your mindfulness, you realign your observation. You know, you realign the mind. You know, instead of thinking, "Oh my God, I don't want to do this," you realign the mind, and you can see the two sides moving, but you don't have to be moving yourself. And suddenly, you're back into a clear view of things. And all your obstacles, all your delight, all your disasters, you know, all your whatever it is, it's all grist for the meal, as some famous teacher used to say. Grist for the meal. I mean, you say that to somebody who suffers, they want to hit you, you know. 
You have to be careful to whom you say that. <laughs> but it's within the context of compassion, kindness, not breaking the precepts, remember? And being really a responsible human beings. Let you know? Guess too close to the microphone because several people will be using it. They don't want to yeah. catch your bag. Okay. <laughs> Ajahn, you you spoke a lot about um, compassion as a as a motivation for discipline and ethical restraint in terms of these sort of. Can, can you hear me, Ajahn? Yes, but you said is a what? Oh, you talked about is a, is a motivation for ethical restraint and, and discipline. That is, you know, because we are compassionate, we, um, we keep the precepts and we, we there are a, a set of things that we, we don't do because we're compassionate. We don't kill, we, we don't lie, um, we don't steal, and so on. But, um, but I was wondering if you, if you had thoughts on, in this idea of, of becoming a good you know, a, a good, um, a good lay person, or even a good monastic, just a, a good person in the world. If through compassion there are things um, that we should be motivated, that that we should do, as opposed to the the sort of negative obligations. If there are um, positive obligations that we might have to people, such as you know, some amount of giving. You, I'm sure, are must think a lot about giving since you are rather dependent on it um, and so on. So is, is there sort of a, a, a link between compassion and determining what sorts of things that we ought to do along with the fact that we can determine what we ought not do? Do you think I could give you a challenge? I, I would I would very Are you much open like to a the challenge? challenge. I'm open to your challenge. I Can think. you repeat in three words what you want to me? <laughs> it's all right. I think May I have four words? Four words. <laughs> Ajahn, what should I do? Ah! Yeah, so I don't think, you know, compassion can be a motivation to be not break the precepts, you know, because, you know, it hurt others, it might hurt others, it might hurt your mind, your heart, you know. And so just to go back to what you said at the beginning, and uh, the precept, I'm not, I, I respond also to the earlier part of the, what I said, that what you mentioned, okay, Um it's not the precept, I'm not, I'm not there to say, I, no, I don't do this, I don't do that, I refrain from, different. So it's not the mind that is successful on day one. Do you understand? You don't start with, you never steal, you never lie, you never this. You learn from the fact that you take things which are not given. How many times a day we can take things from people which are not given to you, but it, 
you just you know carelessly we we do that you know how many times we um, insult people without knowing you know so we learn through the precept the precept is like more a good friends that help you to remind yourself of what your intention what your, your intention are deep down in yourself you know your intention to not harm people your intention to not steal to not do this to not do that intention to refrain from doing that so i never said don't do this don't do that do this do that you know it's not like a big of a black and white thinking you know you don't know what do you do in life <clears throat> you know there's a saying which i keep want i, I want to say is like ajahn shah again if you if you can't let it go make it good that's one of his teaching okay you have to think you have well you have to contemplate it rather you know you can't let go of something you make it good make it a, a worthy thing a friend of mine was so in, touched and inspired by this she made me a a little one of those uh, glass thing that you can put picture she put a gentra in there with a little saying for herself and for myself if you can't let it go make it good for example you can't let go of the desire to help the world maybe or to help certain things make it good make do a good job with it and then when you think forwards what can i do i mean it's a it's a little bit restrained i realize that I'm, i i gave you a, a deep challenge you know there so in regard to what to your life to your study to your this to your that to becoming a monk or becoming a a, a doctor in uh, a medical doctor you know well ajahn I know what I should refrain from doing. Um, you know that's that's what the precepts are for. Um, you should refrain. You mean from breaking the precept, perhaps? That's what is said in the precept. Yes, I am going to refrain from that. So I know what to refrain from doing, but it it is possible to refrain from doing those things and then to to never do anything. To you know, because that's this. It's a it's a list of negative. Sort of obligations and no list yeah. of positive ones. Yeah, but you are—it co comes from your own mind. Remember, so this is you speaking. Okay, it's negative. It's only because you think life is going to happen in your brain. Okay, right now you have a a very nice, a funny brain world in terms of. If I refrain, it means I can't try anything, you know. No, if I, I want to break my second, you know, precept. Ajahn, I didn't mean negative in the sense of, like, unhappy or, like, the emotional negative. I just meant it negates, as in well, it neg killing, it negates killing. Stealing, it negates. Th that's what I meant. But a positive obligation would be something like, do give to the Sangha, Wait, right? But that's not a precept. It isn't a precept that I should give you food even though i i think that i think personally that i should because i think that the noble sangha is a good thing in the world and they are dependent on requisites but there's no precept that tells me that it's something that you have determined through some other means so my question was sort of what through the means that buddhism gives us how do we determine what we what things we should actually do well it's again buddhism is really um you know interested in experiences you know not into brain work you know so i know and i hear what you're saying you know you begin to like maybe coming to 
the Sangha because you feel something is really pleasant and happy. It's like a really a felt sense of your life. Do you understand? It's not just, you know, you don't become generous because people say you should be generous. I became generous more consciously when I realized the result and the happiness I experienced when I was generous. Do you understand? There's no, life is not a set of recipes, you know, that are fixed in little boxes. It's more like a world of, you know, it's like a big world of uh, goodness and also hell realms, you know. So there's nothing, you have, you, you're young, I mean, you're 18, you know, wait a little bit, you know, to live. I mean, 21, we just discussed with this gentleman earlier on, you know, 21, he told me he's already old, you know. I, I, I can't relate to him completely. That's exactly what I used to feel. 25 is ancient. 30 is like 92, you know. So I can relate to what you're saying. But at the moment, you just have to endure the mind that's trying to figure out everything. And poor mind, it's really, what happened is that you just block your, your be careful not to block the, your felt sense of the world. Feel your heart. When you give something to somebody, how do you feel, good or bad? Happy or unhappy? Or you go back to your dictionary and say, well, you know, the Buddha said this and then, and then, and uh, I've got to go and find out, you know, I've got to go and question that teacher because I really don't understand anymore. It's a whole heart is like, you know, struggling with all your thoughts and feelings and questions and saying, you know, we are an entity, we are an energy body, you know, it's like, ooh, like this. That's why you train at university. When you go to university, you're training your mind to be peaceful. It thinks, it has a lot of things to write. If I had to write all the things that you do, I would go crazy, I think. I was more like a dancer myself. I needed to move, you know, an athlete. But because I like beauty, I'd be able to choose dancing instead of gymnastics or something like that. But for me, it was like, oh, not something I wanted to do, something aesthetic, you know, it looks beautiful. But for you now, you, you just be careful. Just stay also with a body that, you know, you know it's a mass of energy, don't you? According to knowledge of science. Yeah? No? Well, again... Go to the, you know, the awareness of your felt sense of the body. You know when you fall in love, don't you? You have to go back to the books. <laughs> no? Even if nobody knows you've fallen in love, never mind that. You know yourself, don't you? <laughs> and you don't have, it's my question to you. I haven't said you anything about you right now. You don't need to kind of conclude and go to five dictionary to find out what it means and so on, you know? Yeah? So when you say uh, what to do, you know, it's like you don't want to cut your life into little boxes. What do you do is to ask a question in your heart, on your mind, you know, heart, mind, body, and uh, trust life, you know? I mean, you have already quite a lot of plans for your life. So your mind has... <coughs> you know, we'll have all the condition to be filled up with a lot of things. Now, meditation will help you maybe on a daily basis to empty the bin of unimportant things or irrelevant things or whatever, yeah? So your questions? You can ask another question if you want to. I think I want to give the microphone to somebody else. Okay. <laughs>
give us an idea of um, how to be compassionate in a world where there can be so much hatred coming towards us, how to respond to that with compassion? When you say we, it's very, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big we, it's a big yeah. mind. How big does it go? Well, <laughs> how far does it go? Well, I mean, just, just, well, however big or small you want to take it, really. But I mean, just on a, on a personal level, if there are people, you know, giving hate out towards, towards me, say, ah. then how can you keep compassion alive in those circumstances rather than sort of, you know, shutting down and... Yeah. You know, well, it's not easy. No. It's not easy, no. <laughs> It's very difficult, you know, to, to live in that kind of environment where, yeah, I mean, sometimes you, you don't want to live too long in that kind of environment because it's really uh, toxic, you know. So you have to be careful. Either you turn around and, uh, you know, you let go of those people, let go, let them go. In your mind, you might not let them go and ask them to leave, or, but let them go in your mind, you know, because if they're not really, uh, if you tried and they don't want to try, if they don't do anything on their, on, on their part to really make an effort to bring harmony into your relationship with them, then just, just let them go. Don't make sure your mind is not crowded with a lot of thought about them. People like that, which are, who are not kind and keep kind of brewing nasty things about, you know, with, in themselves or for somebody else, it's much better to just let them go in your mind, you know. You can, you can, you can develop metta and loving kindness toward them, you know, you can also, you let them go, but you can cultivate uh, the metta practice, you know, for them, rather than Revenge thinking, you know, thinking of had enough, and, you know, unkind, unkind sort of revenge. <laughs> revenge is not very kind already, but, you know, you can do. Is that enough, do you think? Yeah, I think you have to just to let them go. Otherwise, it's unbearable. To free your mind from from that kind of energy, you know, and you, what happens is that sometimes when people are really, when they see you more free from them, they start changing. We create a dynamic with each other sometimes, which is so toxic, you know, when we are not careful. We're all in the same soup if we're not careful. So you start making a nice soup. They come and eat it. Metta is a nice soup. <laughs> How about that? It's not a bad thing, isn't it? Hi, Ajahn. Um, I wanted to ask about the learning from direct experience, um, how, uh, from what I gleaned from what you were sharing to our friend here, um, around f following the feelings that lead to happiness. Um, for myself, I can find it confusing sometimes to, to trust uh, any feelings, to know where they come from, whether they arise from the 
conditioned mind or whether they might arise from somewhere else and to know which ones to follow and which ones not to follow um, and underneath that essentially um, I don't know maybe it's the wrong question but where does it come from like where do the feelings come from and how do I know where to follow them do you know what I mean I, well yes I do it I know what you mean yeah you know, if you want to know, you can, you know, for me, feeling where do they come from, you know, it's really a big mystery a lot of the time. I mean, you can imagine, you can presume, you can figure it out somehow, but it's never quite like that because things are already moved on, you know. So the world is in a move, constant move, movement, you know. So, but what is fine, what is interesting with the Buddhist teaching, which I like, it's a framework, you know, a framework to, to use. And for example, you know, in the Paticca Samuppada, I don't know if you know the, the law of dependent origination. There is a link which says condition, you know, the, uh, the, the senses condition contact. And contact condition feelings. And feelings condition tanha, which is attachment. Or desire, rather. And desire condition attachment, you know. Okay. <clears throat> so when you have a, a feeling, you, you may just, you know, just to work directly with a feeling, you may say, I don't know. You work with the mind directly. What is this feeling? You just recognize, you experience right now, you don't know. That's all. It's like you walk life, you know, with intelligence. You don't know. That's the intelligent question. You don't know. You, the reality is that you don't know. But then you can work with the Buddha's structure, you know. Maybe, um, you know, it, it, it comes from a contact. You can recognize maybe it, com it comes from a contact, a pleasant contact or unpleasant contact. Right? And that feeling uh, is engendered by this contact. And then if you like this feeling, it's so pleasant, then it becomes tanha. You desire more and upadana, yeah. All the way down to, you know, um, there's, there's upadana, there's attachment, and attachment brings becoming, and the becoming brings birth, old age, sickness, and this sorrow, lamentation, pain, and, grace, and despair. The, the law of dependent origination has 12 links. And the wise Ajahn Shah used to say, the wisdom, those wisdom teachers are wonderful, you know, they... He says, well, you know, people want to know about the PhD on the Paticca Samuppada, you know, like, wow, this and that commentary, sub-commentary, you know, notes and all the rest of things. So as a wisdom teacher will tell you, like Ajahn Shah, Paticca Samuppada is like you just fall off a tree, you know, and you count the branches on the way down, and then, but, you know, by the time you hit it, it hurts. <laughs> so this is the rising of Dukkha. And the cessation of dukkha is the second, second half of the dependent origination where you, you know, when ignorance, you start with ignorance. Conditioned by ignorance, okay? Conditioned by this, you know, that's a conditioning process. So conditioned by ignorance is sankara or mental construct. Sankara. I knew it better in Pali than in English. <laughs> Avijapancha, Sankara, Sankara Pacharya, Vinyana, the consciousness, okay, etc., etc. And then the sense, sense door, and then there's the, the contact, sense contact, and then the feeling, and so on. Yeah? 
So sometimes you don't know. You're, you, you make, you train the mind not to know. This is something that Ajahn Sumedho taught us, you know. You train the mind, you don't say shut up. You just say, I don't know. And you say, blah, 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 blah. you breathe, you know, continue breathing. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And you train it not to know. Because when you train the mind not to know, it actually becomes a much bigger space, maybe. You don't know. You're opening the mind to a much bigger space under one imprison in wanting, 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 wanting. You know what I mean? With a desire in the middle of it that blocks everything. That's what I discovered. Do you understand? You, you, you understood, haven't you? <laughs> Look happy, I can see. <laughs> Do you understand, really? Yeah. So when you, when you see that, you know, when you have a feeling, you know, if, if you don't know how to make it good, or if you don't know how to let it go, you know, I want something, I want something pleasant, pleasant, I want something, I would just want to be distracted and do something really, ah, distract me from all that mess. Do something good. You want, 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 do something good. People think you can't want in Buddhism, you know. No, you can. Just make sure you go down towards the direction of skillfulness and happiness for yourself and other people. Compassionately, you know. So life becomes really creative. You know, the mind is troubled. We live with a troubled mind. The mind is like, it's all covered over very quickly with troubles. And you can't see anything so clearly anymore. That's why we need to unclutter it with meditation. You need to see the space between your thoughts, the space between your feelings, the space between your perception, the fact that things are impermanent, to learn how to see impermanence. Then you begin to feel more. You can breathe, there's more breath feeling, you know, more space, more. That's enough? Sorry, one thing that does arise with that is you yeah, say, do, as you say, do something good. Yeah. Uh, puts me in a similar position that I almost need to sit in a place of I don't know what is good right now. In well, you better start reading the Buddhist teachings and he will tell you exactly what is good. <laughs> if you don't know it, just start looking at the kilesa, the unskillful and utterly miserable mental states. You know enough, being selfish, being cruel, being... A, anguish, being constantly stressed, being constantly envious, jealous, uh, domineering, that's another kilesa I discovered many years ago, domineering personalities, you know. You don't have to kill yourself because you're a domineering personality, you just start to loving, love this personality and start relaxing with it. Yes, I know, I know you like to kind of, you know, oh, do this, do that, but just you can relax now, you know, it's a, you don't have to hold in, hold on to it forever. <laughs> Sometimes it's useful when you need it, but the rest of the time you can just be a, a relaxed being, you know. Yeah, really, Buddhist teaching is very important for all of you to get really familiarized with what the teacher, the, the Buddha teaches. Be careful which book you look, you know. I mean, some other, some authors are not always super reliable, you know, but um, you can tell, I mean, the books here from the, the Sangha is pretty good, you know, because it's experiential. And there's plenty of books about skillful mental states, skillful emotions, skillful this and that, which you know already. You just need to be reminded, that's all. Loving people is good, isn't it? 
hating them is not good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like simple. Beating people up is not good. You know, offering present to people who need a bit of tender loving care is good. Right? So, you know, it's already, we're all very wise. We just don't know it, that's all. Truly, you know. It takes training to realize we have all these qualities already in here, in our mind, heart, you know. It's amazing. That's why it's called ignorance, avidya. It means you don't know that you're in some tradition, they say, you're already enlightened. You know, it's just, you don't, you just matter, you just don't know it, you know. But it's a bit like this, it's true, because I can see when the mind is quite free, the mind is free, freer, let's say, not completely free, I don't claim that I achieve any of this, but when the mind is more clear, you find the best quality comes out of this mind. That's what really hooked me onto this tradition and this path, you know, because I feel like I'm cultivating what I love. So it's a heart relationship, it's a love relationship with the past, you know. You love it. Because it's good, but the mind is easily falls down into you know confusion or whatever. Not now. I mean, I feel like I've worked on it long enough, you know. But because I know what to do with it, for me, it's a, that's not a problem. It's never been a problem. But it's a, you know, it's not something that's just a state. You just don't know something. That's all. And you're at peace with it, but you stay awake. So you're awake to life. You know, you're awake with life. That takes a lot of energy. Wake with life. And very often we feel tired, you know, we don't have enough. We, our mind is creating all constantly more difficulties than you have. It's amazing how we can invent things that never happened. It's Mark Twain who said that, didn't he? I, I, I read it, you know, I used it for teaching yesterday, and I'm not sure again who said, um, oh, God. You know, I had a lot of, you know, I have had a lot of suffering in my life. That's right. Isn't it wonderful? And what about the other one? About uh, when I was young, whether it happened or not. <laughs> you remember that one? You know, the subway humor is funny. It's really the humor is actually a good humor. I find is dealing with paradoxes. You know, because that's exactly what life is about. It's full of paradoxes. Jan. Um, so you spoke about the troubled mind. Bring your microphone a tiny bit lower. So you spoke about the troubled mind and acknowledging to ourselves that we don't know about things. Um, what would you say to someone like me who is asking what is the meaning and purpose of life? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. You want me to go into deep water, then? Eh? 
you want Gandhi's response? I think he said, life is the meaning of my life. My life is a meaning. I think that's what he said. Anybody remember? You know? And that's exactly it, you know. The meaning of life is what you, is your life you live. You know. You could say at some level the meaning of life is to have the experience of human being human here in this human world. You're born, you don't know why when you were born, how you were born, how do you did you end up in a mother's tummy? Yeah. But once you're born with six senses and uh, having to go through little baby screaming all night and uh, you know a little boy or girl and then you become a little tent. 10 years old and 15 years old and gosh, and then 20, you still don't know what to do with life. 25, you still don't know. 30, you still don't know. 40, 50, you're still lost and don't know what to do with life. <laughs> 60, 70, 90, you still die and you have no idea why you lived. <laughs> and maybe at 92 on the death, well, what is the meaning of life, you know? <laughs> you're ready to know about death then. <laughs> no, you have no choice. <laughs> but for me, there's, I don't look for the meaning. My life is a meaning, you know. You know, if, if I tell you the meaning of life is to be a divine being, what would you do with that? Do you want to be, do you want to be a god? Yeah? I, I really love the Buddhist teaching. You know, what, what is the meaning of life is just to understand it. Explore it, understand it, become a person who is less selfish, be a person who is more loving, more caring, more mindful, more patient. All these beautiful qualities, I love them. Do you understand? So they're not something I... I have to work hard at it. I just have to work hard at the person in there who is not patient, who is not kind, who is not this, not that. None of the quality I love. And I have to love this person that doesn't have this quality yet. That's the hardest thing, you know? That's why we need a training to be able to love ourselves as we are. And it's not always pretty. Let's face it. Isn't it? It's not always pleasant. <laughs> Many of us are terribly disappointed with ourselves all the time, you know. Instead of being constructive and, you know, all the kind of therapists tell you, be constructive, be a good person, be good this and that, you know. In the end, you get really exhausted having to do all this work and you give up psychotherapy and then you go off onto, a, maybe I should give up all that, I would just do Sufi dancing, I think. <laughs> or forget my brain and start getting into my body, you know. And then you feel quite happy because you're in your body. You stop being the slave of this brain, you know, that keep telling you all these questions that have no nonsense, complete nonsense, you know. So, your, the meaning of your life is, what, you know, is, is being a human being, living well. Being a good person, a kind person, uh, you know, having good friends around you as well, avoiding those of foolish ways that the Mangala Sutta says, you know, the blessings, the Sutta on blessings, avoiding those of foolish ways, you know, being close to those who are wise, 
read the Mangala Sutta, you will see it's all advice about being a good human being. Living in places of suitable kind, if you don't want too many kind of difficult life, you have to live also in a place which is relatively peaceful. Maybe you can't, but you try, you know, to be in an environment that is conducive to a sense of relative security, relative kind of, you know, pleasant environment, if you can. You do the best you can. And then you learn how to feel, how to resource yourself with good, good heart food, food for the heart. Most of the time, our resources is not such a good food, you know. We dwell on anger, we dwell on jealousy, envy, we dwell on worry, anxiety, fear, uh, disappointment, uh, you know, paranoia, and all kinds of things. We, the mind is... You have to be awake to the mind, to not let those mental states slip in and sort of encrust themselves into your, you know, your, your, um, say your well, atoms, you know, into your body, into the body itself. You know, one thought, if you don't catch it in time, it's not very easy to make, to be, to make itself believable. You have to catch up that thought quickly and say, who is thinking here? You have to challenge that thought. You have to challenge your mind. That makes sense. Challenging your mind. Don't let it sleep, you know. Don't let it kind of go to sleep. Challenge it. Ask yourself, who is doing that? Well, she's horrible, she's this. Uh, who is thinking that? Me. People do change, you know, if you leave them a chance to change. Don't they? So, wish you to live a good life with kindness, wisdom. You know, for me, a good life would be to, to be really respond to life, to be a, a, a good human being. If you make it too... Uh, kind of idealistic or too distant. It's too much. You can't handle it. You just have to do it moment by moment, you know, day by day. And use your brain wisely. You do, the brain doesn't function well when it's stressed and worried and anxious and, you know, and so angry and so on. It doesn't work with all these things, you know, that you believe, if you believe them. So you need to have a mind that relatively clear at some point, you know, to sort out your life. You need some clarity. And it's true, every time I really know, I know the, 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 the mind, you know, is really out of balance when you have all this uh, unpleasant mental state, or even good mental state, wonderful mental state. If you're really kind of, oh, my life is wonderful, etc., People can want to become more and more and more. They turn into a psychopath. You know, they you you up and down and up and down and up and down. You know. So even being over happy and getting everything you want, people don't know how to handle that. Sometimes, you know. So just take one day at a time. I would go for the precept if I were you. Not as a do and don't things, but as a reminder for your good life. So you might be just about to do something silly, 
And you say, oh my God, Panati Patabhyatma. And you say, oh no, I can't do that. Kami Sumi Chacharaya. You know, for the layperson, for us, we have to be Brahmacharya, so we have completely cut off from sex and sexuality and sexual activity, even, you know. But, um, you know, for you, it's like you're just about to be attracted to somebody who looks fine, but you don't know that person yet, you know. So be careful. Kami Sumi Chacharaya, be careful. You know, what you do with this desire to be with somebody or this desire to, you know. Make sure you know what you're doing, even if it is not known yet, but you're just being careful and vigilant, you know, being awake with what, with your life. Is that enough, do you think, to, to start tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> You know, when you are in the Dharma world, it's wonderful. You can really embellish your life all the time. Beautiful, be uh, beautify your life all the time, you know. But in a very down-to-earth down way, because if you so think of beautifying my life, you can drive people crazy around you. Buddhism is wonderful, great. You know, aren't you happy today, you know? Look, you have so many opportunities now. It's like, oh, leave me in peace, you know, just... <laughs> Just leave me normal, you know. Go and do your thing somewhere else. You know? Just being a, you know, kind. Be content with what you have. Be content. That's very important. This contentment brings you straight back again to that, that balance. You know, you haven't realized that you were spending hours being discontented, and say you be content. Suddenly, oops. Your mind say, yes, I have a kind partner, I have a nice car, I've got a very nice place to live, I've got a good job enough. And you say, well, pretty good, you know, why aren't I content, at least on the material level? But then, of course, emotionally, we're also very discontented, you know, dissatisfied. So this thing one has to look at, you know, to bring a sort of a sense of why can I, or can, I can also train my, my heart, mind, you know, to dwell in peace. It's not that thing that you think about. To rest in a sense of peacefulness now. And one of the things that helped me most myself is like even before I was a nun, I remember there was a, an actor from, I never watched TV. I never watched TV. My, my parents didn't have TV. And when I was married for 10 years, we never, we hated TV. We didn't like TV, you know. So it's that generation where TV is not so common anyway. But I was really grateful that my parents, you know, did that to me. So I was really ha happy. But this um, this actor, which I, I quite liked, was quite young. He was 32 or something. And I was like 29 myself. And I heard he died of a heart attack. I remember coming back from Germany where I'd been teaching in the plane. I heard this and I was really so shocked, you know. And that gave me such a powerful insight. I said, my God, I could die tomorrow myself, you know. Suddenly, the sense of urgency came up in me, like, wow, it couldn't happen to anybody. What am I going to do now? You know, how I, something, your sense of urgency takes over. You don't have to think about it. It does it for you, you know. It's like, okay, what do I do next, kind of thing. And that sense of urgency really brought me to contemplate death. That sense of urgency, what it does is stop the mind into its habitual confusion. 
from its habitual contributor. So I began to see I could die tomorrow. My mind just stopped. It was quite peaceful. I was not frightened to say that. I could die tomorrow. And suddenly you feel calm, you know. So what are you going to do if you die tomorrow? You don't need to get too excited about it. <laughs> it's more peaceful, isn't it? But I, I tell you, for me, it works really well. I mean, I was really made for this kind of sentences, you know, because it didn't frighten me to say, you know, my mind, you have to be at some point, you have to be more powerful than the thought that frightens you, you know. You have to have the confidence that you can challenge those thoughts, you know. Not have to be there for you. Yeah? So. Don't feel you are, what you call that, uh, paralyzed in this room. You can leave if you want to, you know, but I'm happy if you stay. I don't mind that, you know, for me. It's, uh, I know you don't get a chance to to listen to these uh, like oral teaching like this very often, you know. It's like an oral tradition. Of course, now we have books because we're not as fun uh, to speak, isn't it? To have a, a bit of a conversation with each other. So, if nobody has any more questions, we can just adjourn. Uh I can ask uh, one question. If you, you have a question. Time. Yeah. <clears throat> um, recently, I'm reading uh, Ajahn Sumedho's uh, Four Noble Truths. And the second chapter, uh, Second Noble Truth, The Cause of Suffering. So, so I, your micro microphone is kind of like a hum. Recently, I'm reading the Ajahn Sumedho's Four Noble Truths. Oh, yeah. And the second chapter, Cause of Suffering. Yes. And when he described the cause of suffering, and he gave an example of uh, his life in uh, Wat Ponong with Ajahn Cha. Yes. And he was mentioning that, understanding the cause of suffering. Yes. And he was mentioning that, and someone in the monastery, Ajahn Cha's monastery, um, something did wrong with Ajahn Cha or not um, complaining about Ajahn Cha's monastery and about Ajahn Cha. And he said, his mind is saying, that's what I don't want like a nivava tanha, like I don't, I'm getting what I don't want. I don't want my master to be treated or, or uh, insult or behave like that. Yeah, yeah. And once I was reading that one, and I had an experience in my life, and I was relating to that, that particular example, I, I drove uh, Ajahn Amaro recently to um, a retreat, weekend retreat. And the retreat, um, it was um, like during the lunchtime, how uh, people offering food to him, I didn't like it. You and didn't I, like it? Yeah, yeah. because yeah. The, you know, the, in monastic life, how we offered the food to monk and the respective way, but this is from the, uh, the, the lay community, and they may not be understand the custom of how, how like, offered the food. So just went to the cafe, and bought something, you know, the sandwich, and put it like in the bowl. So I feel bad for Ajahn Namoro. It's my bad. Maybe Ajahn Amaro is not thinking like that way. But I was th thinking that is, and I was relating to that Ajahn Sumedho's book about you know, someone's complaining Ajahn Chah and how he felt that time. And I was feeling the same thing. I understand that this is suffering. 
I understand this is my suffering about that. Yeah. That's, that's okay, I understand that. And I have no complaining or anything like that. My question here, how to deal with the situations? Should I accept it and letting it go? If someone, for example, you are giving talk and someone insulting you and it hurt me, then should I let it go or shall I do something? What, what should I do? Someone insult, insult me? No, no, if, I'm saying if. Someone insult me? If, I'm saying. Well, just, re just relax, you know. <laughs> that's what I did. That, that's what I did. That's what I did. But what, what should, what, like still in my mind, I, I, I told the same thing to... Don't compound it, you know. Don't compound it, you know. That poor man is already in a bad state, you know. Yeah. You just feel compassion for the fact that he's insulting me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at some point it's not, you know, when you insult people, you're already very upset about something or other. Maybe we might be able to sort it out, you know, with around a cup of tea or coffee and have a little chat. You know, what was it that made him feel that he needed to insult me to wake up or something? You don't know. No, don't worry, I've lived with all kinds of people here, you know. you know what I mean? So that's why I say relax now. Yeah. Just take it easy, you know, and um, um, you don't know why people insult you. You don't know why they do this, you know. They, and when they know, even they will lie to you that they don't insult you for one thing. You come and you've insulted me and say, no, I haven't. <laughs> you think they have insulted me, I think they have insulted me, but they don't think so. They think they're just right. <laughs> Hey? Yeah. Many people who are angry, they just respond, do not provoke me. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, I asked yeah they feel upset about it, yeah. yeah. I asked the same thing I described when I was driving back to Utajanamuro, and I told the same thing, how I was, how I was feeling in the, in the daytime. And yeah. he said, that's fine, he's at, learned to adopt. But as a lay person, I'm not... Um, uh, person like my my mind is not that mature like Ajanamaro, so I I couldn't take you know that things you know how like should I accept it as it is people are you know a teacher like Ajan Ajan Charge and Sumedho Ajan they they not they're not kind of bothered by people mm. you know insulting them yeah you're bothered but mm. they are not you know so. Don't bother him with uh, <laughs> being bothered. You know. It's fine. <laughs> because he's at peace. I mean, you know, it's, it's like we get insulted by people, you know. Ajahn Sumedhu have been insulted by people. And at some point you just feel that the, the, the man who insults you is really unhappy, you know. So if they want peace of mind, we can have a chat. If they don't want peace of mind, they can continue to insult me. You know, insult is not the way to. It's a, it's a it's a mind that's kind of disturbed. You know what I mean? Or very angry. So if you insult somebody, you're very angry with that person. Obviously, you better be still quiet. You know, wait until it finished, and then see what happens. If you don't respond, sometimes people suddenly come back to a more balance space and realize maybe they have overdid it a bit, you know. Maybe they went, they went a bit too far, you know. <laughs> but if you react, they start reacting with you, you know. Well, it's four, nearly 4.30, so we can, you know, I'll stay here a little bit if you want to have a, a little chat or something. But I think we can make everybody go.